Jen Dobry or something like that. Every episode I seem to start with a different language. This week I thought I'd give Polish a try. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, I'm really sorry if you're a Polish speaker because I've definitely just butchered that. But hey, welcome back to Tinderella Tales. You've reached episode three. You have managed to stick with us for three whole episodes of talking about how to make dating apps a little bit safer when you are doing that one thing your mother always told you not to do talk to strangers online and then even worse meet up with them in real life i'm geordie your host and today i am joined by jane jackson the photographer who is creditable for asking for it. I'm just going to make a quick trigger warning disclaimer here. If you're likely to be triggered by subject matters of rape, sexual assault and sexual violence, turn off now. You can always tune back in next week where hopefully we will be talking about something a little bit easier to listen to. Anyway, I'm going to shut my trap now because as I was kindly reminded this week, people don't come to this podcast to listen to me. They are here to listen to the guest. So here she is. So I'm joined on the podcast today by Jane Jackson, who is the photographer behind the Asking For It series. Jane, would you like to talk a little bit about that and your inspiration and how you kind of came upon that project? Yeah, sure. So Asking For It was kind of initially inspired. um, I read an article in a newspaper about a girl who had ended her life by suicide following the acquittal of her alleged rapist and what had happened in court they'd actually held her underwear up three times as evidence against her for why she would be lying and subsequently he got off Um, and just the trauma that that kind of brought upon the article was written by the family actually and it just it, it hit me and it stayed with me and it stayed in my head and I think though if I'm honest about it it was more the fact that I kind of hoped we'd moved on from this. And it was that that article wasn't the inspiration. It was kind of the trigger that said, really, are we really not moving on? But actually, as an issue itself um, of, you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment, these things are something, of course, I'm aware of. I'm a woman. So I have experienced sexual harassment. In fact, almost every woman I know has a story of some kind. So they're not all about rape. But I have. I've worked with people that have disclosed rape in the workplace. I've worked with young people that have come to me with issues of rape. And and the amount of sexual harassment and sexual assault is huge. So it's something that I know is an issue. I kind of hoped we'd got further on than we had. And when I realised, you know, as a mother of two daughters, actually, this is the reality now. I've got to do something about this. So for me... My, you know, my photography is becoming more and more activist. It's about social change. And the tricky thing wasn't what should, you know, what should I tackle? It was how, because it's such a tricky subject. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what you're saying there about like that when they were holding up her underwear as an example, like that's used in so many cases. I don't know if you've heard about Denim Day that's coming up soon. Yeah. Is it so. um, organised by Christiana? There's one that Chris, the model Christiana did in, in the States and she did a big denim campaign on consent. And I know there's a big one in Italy as well, isn't there? I was going to say this was um, it started in L.A., I think, in the 90s, because an Italian woman, they held up her jeans in court and said, look, these are very tight jeans. She would have had to help take them off. So and that was used as getting her her rapist out of the charge. So, yeah, the thing is with asking the point I'm making is that this is a historic issue. So the first picture in the series says war red and this is set in 1910 so I'm trying to immediately say hey you know we've been victim blaming for as long as as time goes back women particularly have been judged for things that happened to them and it has been their responsibility to behave correctly as to not invite crime upon them Um, however the nonsense changes 
it's year by year you know it does, we know wearing red is okay <laughs> um but now it's like oh you can't go running with headphones on or you know what do you expect if you go on a date from this app or that app you know yeah. the, the nonsense changes but it's just a historic version of the same rubbish Mm, it's gone from you can't show your ankles to like you can't wear a mini skirt because otherwise you're still asking for the same thing so yeah you spoke as well a lot with um like the Bournemouth University Psychology Department as well didn't you you mentioned in previous chats we'd had yeah so um Peter who's the head of the psychology department was extremely helpful and quite generous with his time um it was part of wider research I did I did a lot of, I did a lot with stars Dorset and I interviewed a lot of survivors read a lot of books but what Peter was able to offer me was insight into other studies because he studied this for many many years um, that have been done in this area and what really struck me was the fact that of all the studies that have gone out, that all the campaigns, sorry, that have tried, to, you know, you would imagine they're trying to change people's opinions. They all state their aim, if you like, as raising awareness, which is quite a kind of woolly thing. Yeah. They don't go out to aim to change the problem. They just, oh, we'll raise awareness of it. And then almost none of them have any study any data to say whether they've been effective or not so it's almost like oh here's a pot of money raise some awareness do a poster and you know all the data that peter's collected you know shows quite strongly that posters don't really have much effect um and if mm. anything there's a rebound effect so people actually become more confused or they form the opposite opinion well i don't want to think that i'm going to think this so you can actually do more damage by wading in <laughs> and and throwing a bit of effort at something without really understanding what is a really complex social problem so you know Peter was really useful helping me understand some of those things and he has done a lot of research on consent um, particularly at student age which is obviously a really vulnerable group um, and and actually again as an adult um, you know I'm not I'm in my 40s I was kindly under the assumption that educated students, you know, doing proper degrees and proper subjects would just naturally know, would have that level of education about consent and probably yeah. learned it in school. And that isn't the case. And that to me is really shocking and something that kind of needs to change. I think that, you know, we should be teaching this stuff a lot younger and educating a lot younger. Absolutely. I was talking to um, Lizzie from the Open Your Eyes to Domestic Abuse campaign earlier this week for another podcast episode as well. And she was talking about how like how little education she received and everything for um, teaching about consent. And then she said there was a, an assembly they did in her school and um basically they were reading out situations of you know if they fall asleep should you carry on if they are under yeah. the influence is that okay yeah. and she said every situation was so 50 50 divided people just had no idea yeah um, I mean yeah you're absolutely right and I think I'm actually a trustee for the Shine Project, which is a, a project that helps teenage girls and soon to be also teenage boys in schools. And they cover things like respect and consent um, from the age of 12, which is amazing. And, it, you know, I'm really active in helping them do that. And it's something I really believe in. I've also worked in um, a secondary school as a pastoral manager before I, um, you know, essentially when I had my children, before I became a full time photographer. Mm -hmm. And 
we had workshops in tackling this issue from year seven and it, to say it was needed is an understatement and thankfully the school I worked in were very proactive and responsive but there are a lot of schools that are not and even with the amount of work we were doing we were still getting issues you know we were still getting disclosures we were still getting sexting we were still getting sexualized bullying you know even with all that work we had the police coming in doing free workshops so I think education is one part of it but it's not all of it um, yeah. And, you know, we have to understand that this is a complex, historic social issue. Yeah, so much of the education from what I've seen seems to be targeted at potential victims rather than so much at the like perpetrators. Or another thing that Lizzie brought up when I was speaking to her was that targeting like almost like the friend groups to make sure that they're calling each other out and holding each other accountable. Do you think that's something that we yeah. need to work on more? Yes, again, something I've been discussing with the Shine Project and actually Stars Dorset are doing things like this as well with young people. They're the rape charity. They're going into schools to try and educate on this area, talking about, you know, do, how do we change it? It's the culture we need to change. Addressing the victims about keeping themselves safe is it's like putting a plaster on it. It, it it could help I mean we all need to take a degree of responsibility about our personal safety in general don't we as human beings mm. however it also on the same side reinforces victim blaming but if you didn't do this you would have been safe which of course is nonsense it's the, the perpetrator's actions that are the problem and we don't call that out enough and I think that any education that can go in and address it as a group you know I think there is a toxic masculinity issue absolutely. absolutely and it starts in school I have a foreign student actually I've had foreign students for years and um, teenage girls that are telling me that you know they're coming home and they're telling me some of the comments that the boys are making and and the girls you know the slut shaming the sexualized bullying just it's and it's young it's young and it, you can't wait until people are at uni age to tackle this because there was a recent blog post um on the internet which was really it's a huge group and the question posed was when were you first treated in, in a sexual manner when were you first viewed as a sexual being and you would expect i guess that the comments would be at least after puberty wouldn't you mm. But, the, but it isn't that case you know women are saying that they have been treated in school by peers particularly by boys as sexual objects very very young or obviously family members of or you know people commenting on the way they look or catcalls in the street you know really young before puberty so and it just gets worse you know the first time I was catcalled I was probably 12 and it, you know, ask any any woman, and she'll she'll tell you these things. You know, it, it it's a societal thing where we're viewed as a sexual object without our consent or <laughs> inviting that attention. That's mad. That's crazy. I'm still mm. amazed. Like twelve years old, you were getting catcalled and things. I can't personally remember when it started. Like for me, but twelve is it's mad. <laughs> But I wasn't the youngest. This is what shocked me. I thought that was quite unusual um, to have a, you know, build a whistle from some scaffolding when I was 12. I didn't really understand it. I remember talking to my parents about it. Um, but yeah, I've heard stories of people happening when they're 10, 11. It's yeah, it's horrible. Quite a lot of conversations I've had recently as well have been about how there's like, I put this in very strong inverted commas, grey areas 
around what defines consent and you know a lot of people are very vague about how sexual coercion can actually well it is actually rape and if, if it's not a firm yes and enthusiastic yes it is no do you think there needs to be more clarification for people on that from a young age yeah 100% I've seen a really good I can't remember who did it now but I've seen a really good campaign recently where they're talking about removing the grey if you google it you'll probably find it it was really really good um, I think that this whole blurred lines we've heard that recently in a, in a song haven't we um, mm. and grey area thing is a bit of an excuse actually for behaviour that is illegal <laughs> you know there, there is no grey area someone either says yes I want to have sex or they don't um, they are either legally of age to consent or they're not you know this is children can't consent that's that that's not a gray area if someone's 14 and their perpetrators are older there's no gray area in that in my mind um, no. I've had social workers refer to it as a gray area so I find that really alarming and and this is the thing, actually, talking about Bournemouth University, if you speak to um, the law professor there, Jamie, he he talks about this in terms of legal terms. And that's a really interesting education as well, and what is legal and what isn't at what age. And I think that even those details, people don't really understand. But yeah, there's absolutely a grey area with, with things like, or a perception, sorry, of a grey area with things like alcohol, it, particularly in relationships. That's a big one. If you yeah. can before then there's this assumption that you consent again I've spoken to a woman who was raped in her home but because the police just immediately turned up and said but if you let them in then you know you let them into your home and that's as far as that got yeah wow exactly well where's the gray area in that I don't see it but I think there's definitely a perception of it and I think that these things are very much in the minds of jurors so if, I mean, if we look at rape stati- or sexual assault statistics of conviction in Dorset, they're the worst in the country. I don't know if you know this. They are I literally didn't. the worst of the entire country. So um, I'm trying to remember the exact figures, but it is shocking. It's something like 800 or 600 or 800 reported cases and only eight convictions in 2019. It's really, really low. So you've got two things to think about there. You've got... For a start, we know that the vast majority of, ca- of of incidents go unreported. That's the first thing. So what we're already looking at is the tip of an iceberg. Mm. So from that, we know that the vast majority of those reported don't see a conviction for their perpetrator for various reasons. So that could be the way that the evidence, they, you know, the burden of proof and all of this type of thing and the legal process. Some of it is, you know, the experiences of the victims in the legal system, which are not good and something that Stars Dorset support their people with, you know, helping them understand that it's not an easy process to go through as a victim and the way that the it plays out in court so if you are if you are one of those few people that actually get your case to court what happens then well we've got the victim blaming tactics of the you know the opposition like the inspiration for asking for it where they're holding the underwear up there they you know we've heard cases in the media where the police are taking the victim's phone away at the point of reporting they didn't mm. go and take the phone away of the alleged perpetrator but they take it away from the victim. So, you know, they're going to trawl through your sexual history in court, but it's not relevant if your alleged perpetrator has been convicted of rape five times prior to their conviction, 
but it is relevant how many people you've slept with and the details of how your sex life played out from ex-partners and all of this type of thing can be brought into court as evidence so I think that you know there's a there's a big problem with the way that that is allowed to happen. There's the fact that judges don't receive mandatory training in issue. I think that, you know, that there is some kind of guidance, but they're not obliged to read it. That's an issue. Should judges need training? And then jury. So let's assume we've got a well-behaved opposition lawyer or barrister. We've got an educated judge. <laughs> Um, what about the jury? So they have potentially grown up with all of these victim blaming myths that asking for it addresses in the backs of their minds. Yeah. You know, well, why were they out that late anyway? You know, well, they look a bit, they do look a bit tarty, don't they? You know, these, these, this nonsense exists in people's minds socially. And that is an issue. Um, I've known people that have, you know, they've been on juries and the, the case has been dismissed because one jury member just won't, yeah, but they did look that, you know, th- these myths are preventing the actual convictions when they get there, which is frustrating, obviously, for the legal professionals that are doing their job well, that want mm. to support more convictions, but it's it's harrowing for victims, absolutely harrowing. And I think, you know, these, these it's a big societal issue that, that really does need a lot more action in various different ways to change so when you asked me the question of do we need more education (laughs) and you're surprised that I'm saying well you know that's not necessarily going to help this is why I think yes we need more education of course we do but we have to address some of these other wider historic issues and legal processes so how do you think that's best addressed then in society I mean to have an impact with my work to to make to sort of invite people to question it themselves so I'm not telling people what's what I'm saying look have a look at this do you feel this is fair one of the key things that speaking to Peter at Bournemouth University he's talking about um, using empathy to make people kind of help them change their minds so we know that if you tell people what to think they're not necessarily going to agree with you in fact you can have the opposite effect but by inviting them into an open conversation and point you know pointing out some parts of education but allowing them a space to challenge their own thinking you're much more likely to get a more successful positive change in their opinion so I've tried to do that with asking for it but yeah I do think absolutely we need more education in schools and I think it needs to start young it needs to be detailed but you know basic respect needs to be there and we need to be sending clearer signals in society so one of the things that has received a fair bit of attention lately is the fact that you can get 10 years in prison for now for when they've put it into legislation for defacing a statue a public statue so this is now recently with the bill that they've just passed you can get up to 10 years imprisonment do you know what the average prison sentence for rape is i feel like it's somewhere around six isn't it yeah i mean it varies obviously year on year but it's like four to eight years and bearing in mind people serve they don't serve their whole sentence so you could get 10 years in theory for going and writing on a statue with a sharpie and eight years for raping an individual a woman you know so the message we're sending is a society that statues predominantly let's face it of dead old white men are more valuable to us than real women and individuals yeah and obviously it's not just a women's issue (laughs) but you know the statistics are huge that this disproportionate is disproportionate affecting women Mm, absolutely I mean, looking at the statistics, the recent statistics we've seen where like 97% of women have experienced some form of sexual assault. And you're sort of thinking like, 
that's basically everybody I know who, you know, yeah. if they identify as female, that's basically everyone I know yeah. within and the group. not necessarily one story either. This is what people, you know, not just one incident. Um, I, I have sat in many a room with my friends and colleagues and had a conversation and every single person has at least one story. Mm. In fact, I've never... I don't think I've ever encountered someone that couldn't give you some kind of story, a female. No, to be fair, even like um, I've got friends in sort of church groups who you assume like, well, that's probably a safer environment. And then you start sort of, yeah, unpacking that. And (laughs) that is a minefield in itself. But yeah, I mean, it should be. And certainly, you know, businesses are putting effort into safeguarding training. We have got more um you know compulsory training when you start jobs when you when you deal with environments like churches will have to do safeguarding awareness but it's it's putting that into practice isn't it it's making environments genuinely safe and it's stamping out that that toxic masculinity i think early and the you know these comments i mean you'll always get a percentage of deviant in society people that regardless of whatever however you educate them if they are in the mood to go out and commit a rape then sadly you know that's always going to be there Mm. but in my opinion there are thousands if not hundreds of thousands of cases that do not need to happen and wouldn't have happened it all happened if that person had thought twice had had different education if we as a society spoke up for women's rights a little bit more if we challenged the opinions that underlie that you know the assumptions that we view and the way we treat women uh, and discuss you know discuss these issues I think we're enabling we're a culture that almost enables that absolutely Um, yeah yeah and in terms of um like the whole thing of like gray areas and people not necessarily understanding do you think there's the same problem in the digital spaces or is in the physical space so that people they don't have an understanding of how the acts that they carry out online or through dating app they don't necessarily understand the repercussions of what they're doing because they think oh well it's just you know it's a picture or oh it's a comment or something okay i'm gonna say i'm gonna split this into two (laughs) okay I think a lot of people do not understand, absolutely do not understand. Um, I've dealt with young people particularly, many, many, many incidents where they do not understand. And despite, in fact, we had one incident where I took a a young girl on a workshop, a police-based workshop, it's like a day thing, to educate them because we highlighted them as someone that was vulnerable and potentially, you know, posting things that perhaps they shouldn't and Mm. have retention that they shouldn't have been getting, um, to educate them. And then the next day we had a sexting incident. But she was like, yeah, but I've got some clothes on. I'm not naked. So even though we'd done this whole workshop, she didn't understand that this 12-year-old... Um, in her mind she wasn't it was okay so she'd sort of not she'd got the education but not really fully put the concept in her head and and I said well is it would it be okay for you to wear those clothes and walk down the school corridor at break time and she looked at me horrified like you can't say that I'm like but that is those eyes on you that make you feel uncomfortable are the same you know there'll be eyes on you digitally and Mm. I think at that point the penny dropped I'm hoping it did but uh, absolutely I think there's a ignorance and people don't you know they still don't understand the permanency of of putting things online who could be looking at it what they could be doing with that information um but on the other side of it I also feel that a lot of people 
do you understand and just don't care they don't care yeah yeah I get it I get that it's illegal or I get yeah whatever but it's what we do mm. or yeah but it's how we flirt I've heard that a lot yeah but it's just <laughs> flirting. that's just what everyone does now and they look at me like I'm ancient and sort of like out of touch and you know yeah but that's just normal to get a dick pic it's like oh my goodness horrifying it's absolutely horrifying um yeah i mean if you want to know the answer speak to 13 year olds they'll tell you yeah it's, it's that's long. crazy like yeah i think that I don't know. In, in my mind, that's something that is reserved for over 18s. But I think that's because I know under the age of 18, it is child pornography. So, so I'm like, well, that's something for once you hit 18, then then you can choose to opt in or opt out or whatever. But 13 year olds engaging. It's a naive, it's a naivety to assume that adult things do not affect children mm. or that they're not exposed or that they're not engaged. It is happening and it does happen. And yeah, it's it's really alarming. I think we're so used to posting everything online now that we just do it. It isn't the same. The comments you read on the internet, you you wouldn't say those in person to people. You certainly wouldn't necessarily. Some of the comments you read, people wouldn't say in front of their boss or their auntie. Or like, <laughs> you know, the, the, there's a different context, isn't there? That we seem to mm. think that social media is a different beast, but actually, you know, it's the same sort of thing. One of the things I have noticed in response to cases. So the study I've, I did for asking for it was at least it was over 12 months initially and then a year later I added to the project with some more images about two years of research and following local you know local stories media stories of incidents sexual harassment and rape that have happened so and then I followed and read all the comments in the internet on the internet in the comment section uh-huh. what I have noticed which I mean you, you get the comments which are appalling and cringeworthy and victim blaming but what does encourage me actually is that there's a quite a large amount of backlash against victim blaming now. So people are calling it out. They're saying, hey, that's victim blaming, stop. And so yeah. for one negative comment, you'll get 20 comments of people telling them, no, that's victim blaming. It's no one else's fault but the perpetrator. So that gives me hope. That makes me happy. And that's yeah. a full social change that is easy to do. To, you know, it's things like this. It's speaking up. And the digital space actually can be used quite positively because it's very difficult in person to say to someone, hey, stop, your opinion's nonsense. What are you talking about? You're wrong. You know, that's quite difficult. Yeah, <laughs> online, people are quite blunt, saying, no, you are you are completely wrong. Go and check your stats. Here's a website to look at. You know? <laughs> uh, so you see an element of policing, which, you know, that does make me really happy. I like that. But yeah, invariably, you still see victim blaming and, and horrible comments and, you know, there's a big difference what happens in a private message in a group or WhatsApp group or something closed to what mm. happens publicly online. Um, but yeah, I think the digital sphere could be a really powerful tool for change. Absolutely. I think that's really positive, at least something that's kind of coming from the digital space, because we do often think of it as such a negative space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, my asking for it project, we did a preview in a shopping centre because we wanted the public to see it. We didn't want it to be a gallery for art appreciation. We wanted it to be, what do the public think of this? And then, so it, it very quickly ended up on the BBC, which was great. And it went on to the, um, the BBC. It was the third highest trending video on the BBC. Um, wow. And that was 
the day that Caroline Flack died. So I was thinking that was quite a good result. Um, So they obviously became the top news. But what it meant was that asking for it, which is a a series of images, several of those and the video went global, essentially. So very quickly, lots of comments came in. I had emails from Australia. I had people from America contacting me, discussing consent. And it shows you the power of the digital space, really. So what actually was a local, a little local preview of eight images. It wasn't the full project within days had reached people across the globe and then that show you know that type of I guess it's now I'm viewing it as activism and I'm going more down that road but it shows me that that digital spaces can have an education and art can have a massive positive impact and Hmm. not always um directly but also starting conversations so I've had people email me saying we've got some of your images up in our office at lunchtime and we were chatting about it and we had some really interesting debate and wow okay (laughs) some random (laughs) office somewhere is talking about my work and yeah and it's also gone into the the textbooks Oxford University Press I believe it's the criminology law textbook have featured an image from my project so for me yeah I'm really happy but what it means is that it's it it's opening a conversation with potential future lawmakers at the point of their education to be aware of this as an issue. You know, it's really positive for future change. So I think that, you know, there's so many different, not just art projects, but educational projects, groups, um, and things digitally, which can be really powerful. Um, we've seen the Reclaim These Streets. I don't know if you're aware of that. So there's been a big national movement for, since Sarah Everard. They have done something. They've got a big group. And there's a lot of open conversation going on in that group. And you actually see how many people are tackling this issue. And they're posting things that they're doing locally and different charities are doing. When Sarah Everard case broke I was I you know we we were in lockdown there was that feeling of frustration well what can I actually do you know I'm physically at home I can't you know go and do anything and I took a picture of my shoes I went outside having a bit of a tantrum and thought I'm not standing for this took a picture of my shoes and put it on the internet and within a little while that had got shared and grown and we started a movement called In Their Shoes Um, In Their Shoes grew to me collecting shoes physically at Covid secure drop boxes we put some plastic boxes out and within three days I've collected 450 pairs of shoes donated by people in Dorset as a response thank you I was very impressed because it was locked down essentially and I was expecting out I don't know I was hoping to get to 100 pairs of shoes anyway 450 just over pairs of shoes got donated in three days just from social media it was all I wasn't doing anything and everyone started posting pictures of their shoes with the hashtag I was able to speak from local radio from the from um, my lounge um, all digitally in the digital sphere out <laughs> and then again that ended up on um, South Today News which when we actually did the shoe demonstration I, I physically carried these 450 pairs of shoes and put them in Bournemouth Gardens and then took a photo of that because there weren't allowed to be any people so I had to do it on my own I had like one helper and a van so that picture then of all the shoes which represented the voice of people that were taking a stand against sexual violence ended up 
um, back in the news and actually someone sent me about a week later a newspaper article in German so I'm getting German speaking I guess it was in, from Germany rather than Austria or somewhere but you know they'd covered it in the news in a completely other country nothing to do with anything I'd started but this shows you the power again of the digital space mm. so all of this unraveled from a tantrum that I had and a photograph <laughs> but it just again it makes me optimistic and it makes me feel like you know when you when you see the conviction stats in Dorset which are the worst in the country and you speak to the people like Peter you know at BU who's been working on this issue for years and years and years it can paint quite a gloomy picture and when Mm. you think about some of the things we read and we see but when you see that the people of Dorset donate 450 pairs of shoes in three days in a lockdown because they do care then that gives me hope. You know, when I see those same people speaking up on the local newspaper web forum against victim blaming, that gives me hope. We had support from the current police and crime commissioner, Martin Underhill, on both projects, actually. And also the candidate, Claire Seymour, she's a Green Party candidate for the, the PCC role, which the votes, I think, next next week but she was physically there you know helping me collect shoes so you know people in power or people aspiring to be in power want change there's a lot of action going on to create change digitally so I think it's quite in many ways it's quite a positive time we've had me too we've had this thing with Sarah Everard and I think that you know it's quite a good opportunity to push this forward for real change at the moment yeah it's almost like we've had a few things that have acted as a catalyst and now we're kind of riding what comes after that and not necessarily riding but pushing for what comes after that absolutely and do you know what it says to me it says that we're done as a woman I'm so done hearing about this I, I am done I don't want to hear of rapes I don't want to hear about sexual assault I don't want to hear about instances of toxic masculinity you know people are generally good people yeah (laughs) and I know decent men you know they want it's not just women that want change men want change too we're as a society we want this to stop so what are the steps we can take to make that happen and I think that art and activism are really big part of that and education too but legal reform's got to be a big one in my opinion but I think the time is now yeah I think so if I wrap it up the last question I've got is if you were going to give one piece of advice to someone looking to start using dating apps or to start dating say like a younger version of yourself or one of your daughters I don't know how old your daughters are so I don't know if that's a really inappropriate thing to say sorry I just thought so we've got a while while. (laughs) um what what would your advice be then to your daughters in 10-15 years time you know this is something I constantly wrestle with as a mother of two young daughters because as a woman I strongly feel that victim blaming is wrong and we should be able to walk down the street in a bikini if we want to we should be able to I should be able to walk to the corner shop to buy milk at 10 o'clock at night without having keys in my hands because my husband does you know Mm. he would I'll get in the car because it's safer it's ridiculous you know to go to a cash point without that fear of stress in my heart I feel that's we should be able to do whatever we want and victim blaming shouldn't exist as a mother I'm conflicted I'm conflicted because I know that we live in a world where sadly that isn't the case where sadly women are targeted they are judged on what they wear they are judged on who they're with and what time they're out and all of this horrible stuff that you know is really difficult because I want my children to be safe and this 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 is the, the psychological thing that causes victim blaming because mm. it's natural it, it's a natural human instinct 
to want to keep people you love safe yeah it, you, know, you don't want to feel scared every time we step outside of our front door so what we do is we think right okay you know it's terrifying if you think that you could be a victim of rape at any point for any reason it is terrifying so yeah. our brains go yeah but if I you know if I'm with a friend and I text people to let them know where I am on a date and I meet in a public place and I wear respectable clothes and I've got a rape alarm on my phone and a panic pepper spray in my bag and like all of these things that you could do it makes you feel safer so your instincts would be to tell your daughters or your sisters or your mother or your gran whoever's dating to do the same thing because you want them to be safe but actually that is kind of just a psychological need to to deal with a problem when it's the problem itself that needs tackling so I don't think I'd give any advice. I think I would always advise my children to try and be safe and make sensible steps. But I 100% reinforce, even from the age they are now, four and seven, that their body is their own. It is, it is, if anyone else hurts them, it is on that person that they are the bad person. Not It's not their fault. And that they're to come and tell me and, you know, it's to be open. And But yeah, of course, I try and safeguard mm. as, much as, as much as possible. But it's a tricky question. And I think you'd need to speak to someone a lot cleverer than me to get an answer to that because it's yeah advice for dating <laughs> don't do it <laughs> I don't know. honestly everybody keeps having roughly the same answer and saying I don't want to tell them to you know to have to text me every half an hour and phone me when they want a lift home but until we can make sure that problem is actually solved we're sort of trying to do the best we can in the in the state we are in at the moment yeah I mean it's not but it's not just women I mean anybody using a dating app I would say take practical steps meet in public Mm. don't give personal information all of that stuff that people advise you to do but I think that we just need to be really careful as a society you know these are natural things aren't they it's 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 just yeah don't know (laughs) (laughs) cool well I will wrap it up there and then you can get on with everything else that you've got to do in your day and thank you so much for talking to us so obviously, as I said, a massive thank you to Jane for joining us today. You can find Jane on Instagram at Jane Jackson Photography or on her website at janejacksonphotography.co.uk. This episode of Tinderella Tales has been brought to you by Wagamamas. We've all exhausted all ideas of outside dates over lockdowns, so why not take your date out for dinner? I know that's where me and my boyfriend had our first date. And to be honest, the bench seating works a miracle for when you run out of conversation starters. You just judge everybody else on the table and have a little discussion about that. First dates can be awkward as heck, but Wagamama's has got your back.